Hi, it's Kate from ADHD Kids Can Thrive. And today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Kristen McNeely. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and board certified behavioral analyst in SoCal, Southern California. She works for a local school district as a behavioral specialist and runs a private practice where she consults with parents whose children experience both behavior challenges and anxiety. Kristen is a mom of three little ones and is passionate about advocating for parents of children with unique needs. Thank you for joining me, Kristen. I'm looking forward to this conversation. You too. Okay, so let's start from the top. Um, What does anxiety look like in children who have ADHD? Yeah, this is a really good question. We are hearing so much more about anxiety these days in general. And I think parents with kids with ADHD are becoming more aware of it too. I think it's important to remember that ADHD and anxiety are two separate disorders. They can absolutely be comorbid or co-occurring, but they are two distinct disorders. Um, And so it's really important that if you suspect your child has anxiety and know that they have ADHD, that you are consulting with a professional who knows how to kind of differentiate both of those things. Um, With ADHD, you'll see things like trouble completing tasks, forgetfulness, difficulty following directions. Whereas with anxiety, you'll experience more like persistent worry or nervousness, or they'll be afraid of something without it being like an obvious fear. Um, They might be irritable and have difficulty sleeping or more of what we call somatic complaints like headaches or stomach aches. Both anxiety and ADHD, um, kids can have difficulty concentrating and a hard time relaxing. And so again, it's really important to have a professional help with that distinction. With ADHD, the underlying issue is difficulty regulating attention, whereas with anxiety, the underlying issue is worry. Oh, is worry. Okay. And they can go very much in hand in hand, right? They, Between they the can, two. absolutely. If you think about it, you know, kids with ADHD, especially school-aged children, um, are presented with so many stressors. We all are, but kids with ADHD are going to probably feel more stress because of those stressors. Yeah. And so that can definitely trigger anxiety. So it's really important to be aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, So what are some strategies to help a child pay attention and get things done? And how, how, how do you do that while keeping the anxiety low? Yeah. I think for kids with ADHD, especially, and kids with anxiety, really having predictability is really helpful. Um, We don't want to make everything regimented, then we can start having other issues, but there, there is uh, definitely something to be said for stability and predictability. Um, Things like schedules, visual tools, like um, uh, checklists that they can check off as they get things done. Um, Having a spot for everything that can be really helpful. Um, uh, I would say avoiding giving broad directions, like go do your homework instead, be more specific, like get your math book out. Let's do your first few problems of math. So breaking things down into more manageable chunks rather than giving them a whole bunch of information at once. Yeah. Okay. And what is your philosophy on um, the list to do? Do you like them to be more visual 
more a visual aid versus like a written task? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really depends on the child and their abilities. You know, if we have a younger student, four or five, six, um, who can't read yet, then absolutely pictures are great. If they can read, I think writing out directions can be really helpful. Sometimes kids do really well with like a sentence. Other times they just need a one word prompt. Um, I think sometimes it just has to do with your specific child and kind of trial and error, figuring out what works best for them. Yeah. Okay. So if you have an ADHD child and you're trying to just keep that anxiety from becoming overcoming a child, cause that can, it can be stressful to have yeah. ADHD and get yeah. through, especially, um, homework and chores. So, um, the more, stru- is that what you're saying? More structure, more yeah. less more prompting, trying to give it some more structure, um, and predictability, things like timers can be really helpful as well. So they understand that there's an end in sight. So if you are going to ask them to go do chores, let's say you need them to clean up their room, say, I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes. We're going to do as much as we can. I actually find for myself that, um, and I do not have ADHD, but I've started setting timers as like a limit for myself. Like I, I could get lost in cleaning my house, right? It's that if you give a mouse a cookie, so I'm going to clean the dishes and then, oh, I noticed that this has to get put away. So I'm going to go put that away. And while I'm putting that away, I see that this area needs to be vacuumed. So let me vacuum it. And you just, you get down this rabbit hole and you could spend hours. Um, And so I think it's nice to kind of set them up for success, knowing that there is an end in sight. So we're going to set this timer for 10 minutes. We're going to get done whatever we can get done. And then we're going to take a break. Yeah. Okay. And I found in my own experience too, that helps just lessen the anxiety because it doesn't feel like an overwhelming task. Exactly. Because you put it into like a 10 minute window or, or what have you. Yeah. Um, okay. So how do you help, um, a parent reconcile the behaviors that they're trying to change and develop in their child without, um, pressuring them like the change. So that we talked about this a little bit before we talked. So the culture of education in the United States and probably in a, in a lot of places is, um, around the world is, there's an academic standard that every kid must meet, regardless if you have ADHD or anxiety. And so the dance for a parent at home becomes how do you help that child meet the academic standards without increasing their or managing their anxiety so they don't feel so overwhelmed because the parent doesn't have control and the child doesn't have control over what the academic standards are. Yeah, absolutely. So they have to like fit into this box, but it can drive a child's anxiety. So how do you manage that? Yeah, gosh, you know, I think that there are really several different ways to answer this question. A couple of things that come to my mind are one, I think that as parents, we can model so much um, a healthy perspective on school. So I remember, for example, being in school and I was a straight A student. And if I didn't get an A on a test, it was the end of the world. And I don't want my kids feeling that way. And so I've really shifted in my parenting to praising their effort. I will absolutely still tell them they did a great job if they do well on something, but I also just make sure I really emphasize, gosh, you worked really hard. I saw that you were practicing that before your test. 
um, and really reinforcing over and over and over again, your best is always enough. Um, you can only do your best and that's all that I expect. Um, as they get older, I think starting to have more open conversations, especially with like older middle schoolers and high schoolers talking about like, gosh, this seems like a lot of pressure. And I hear that we need to do this for school, but this is a lot. And so I'm going to help you. Let's make a plan for how I can help you get, you know, this project done. Um, okay. Let me ask you there. So as a child gets older, mm -hmm. um, are you suggesting that it's okay for parents to help their child if they're feeling overwhelmed with their schoolwork? I if think they're that, anxious and they're overwhelmed, I that's think the that question. they can help structure things. Okay. So I'm not suggesting that a parent does the work for them, but I am suggesting that a parent can absolutely step in and help them structure, break down the task into more manageable pieces of um, information for them either to learn about or to, or tasks to complete. Um, and then kind of, you know, next level support, if a child is really struggling at school and this will vary state by state, um, but they may be eligible for something like a 504 plan if they have a diagnosis of ADHD or even an IEP if um, if they require specialized services at school. Um, so making sure that parents are feeling well-informed about what schools can offer if they have a child with ADHD, I think is really important. Yeah. And making sure you have the supports, but even with the supports in place, it isn't always a hundred percent supportive. And I think the mixed messaging is when you have a child with ADHD, again, you're looking outside of what the typical parent guidance is. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so a typical child who might not need structure and support and have things broken down for them when they're in junior high or even high school. Right. But that's why I do this podcast and why I'm talking to you because when anxiety and ADHD are kind of like in the mix, it's okay if you have to put more structure yeah. in place, right? Absolutely. And I think Break for those down. younger kids, you know, it is okay to put a boundary in as far as work completion. If they're feeling overwhelmed um, with a task, I think it's okay to, you know, you need to be in communication with your child's teacher, of course. But, you know, I read all the time about on, you know, different social media posts about, you know, my third grader is spending three hours doing homework at night. And that's just not acceptable um, right. on any level. And so um, parents should absolutely feel empowered to step in and, and to communicate with their child's teacher and say, this was too much for them. Um, and, you know, how can we um, change the homework expectation or how can I, you know, support them in getting this project done? Um, you know, it might look like a few different things, but I think that, you know, at some point it, it is absolutely okay to kind of step in and, and say, this is not working for my kid. And this is making things much worse. Right. And to protect their mental health. Right. Yeah, That's exactly. kind of why we're, why we're talking about this. Exactly. Um, okay. So this is your specialty. So when, okay. So ADHD kids can struggle with definitely social anxiety, mm -hmm. um, and social skills, or they can struggle and, or I should say with emotional regulation yeah. and for some kids, this shows up in the academic setting in school. Mm -hmm. So when it's, if a child's struggling at school, how can a parent go about getting support in that academic setting when it comes to social skills and emotional regulation? 
Yeah, I think step one for sure is to build a positive rapport with the school team, if at all possible. I know that everyone is in different situations and sometimes there's been um, damage to the the relationship between the parent and the teacher or maybe the parent and administration. Um, And so a lot of parents aren't so trusting of schools and it's really hard once you get to that point. So trying to really establish a positive communication with your child's teacher from the get-go is really important. If they're struggling, then it is on parents to really reach out and and ask for support. Um, or I shouldn't say it's on the parent, but but that is part of their role that they can advocate for their child to get more support. Um, this is another area of frustration for me as I am on different social media sites and I see what parents are having to go through in order to access support for their kids. It's not my experience in the district that I work for. Um, and so to see other districts just really failing kids is really hard. Um, so I think, parents, why do you think that is? Why do I think? districts? Yeah. Are- why? Yeah. Why? Yes. And where is that tension coming from between the parent and the district? Why can't they get on the same page? Yeah, I think a, then, lot of, a lot of it is resources. I think, you know, there, there are some districts that don't have the same funding or um, that choose to allocate their funding differently. And so they don't have the support in the district that I work for. We're really lucky in that um, the district has prioritized having low case numbers, having high um, staff to student ratios so that we can really be an effective support to students, but not all districts are like that. And so then when you have parents asking for more supports for their kid, the district pushes back and, you know, is feeling overwhelmed or um, they try and, you know, tell the parent that it's not an issue or yada, yada. Yeah. Um, So what do you do if your district's pushing back? I think that I hear a lot of this, especially when kids are younger, it's like they're kicking the can down the road. Yes. And that's not really in the interest of the child, you know, and anybody's doing that. So what would a parent do? I think you start by really educating yourself, um, really trying to find some good local information as far as what your rights are. Um, And then, I mean, if you have to, unfortunately, I think looking for professional advocacy support is needed at times. Um, And hopefully it's not, you know, a long-term thing. Sometimes parents just need to be educated on what their rights are and what's the best way to go about getting uh, their child's needs met. And then they can be on their way and it doesn't have to be a contentious situation. Nobody likes that. Um, It doesn't make us as school team members feel very good. I know it can't possibly feel good for the parents to be in these contentious situations. So whenever possible, you know, feeling like you are empowered yourself to advocate for your child, I think is the most effective way to go about things. But if you're feeling like you need support, then I think that the parents should go ahead and go that route. Okay. And, um, Support can mean beyond learning disabilities or sitting still in the classroom, right? So if emotional dysregulation is showing up in the school, how does a parent go about like trying to get the right support for their child? It's the same thing. You know, a lot of times I'll, I'll hear people saying, you know, you go get them evaluated by a private, you know, psychologist or, or, um, practitioner, And you certainly can, but you really don't have to, or you should not have to. Um, 
School districts are obligated to assess when a child is having difficulty in the school setting. That includes social emotional um, behavior disorders. So if a child has anxiety and it's impactful on their um, academic or social emotional performance in school, they may qualify for an IEP. They do not need to go get a private diagnosis in order to access that IEP. Um, again, I think that this is when it kind of comes into, you know, what what do the districts do or not do? Right. Um, if it is helpful to go get a private diagnosis and it's affordable for a family, then there's nothing wrong with going that way. Um, but unfortunately, when you go private diagnosis route, it can become very costly, very time consuming, um, and not all parents have those kind of resources. So, yep. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you, um, I think I saw on your social media, which I thought was really good was, um, how do you help, how does a parent go about helping their child develop coping skills? Yeah, this is a great question. This comes up really frequently, um, on my account and questions that people send me. I think the two biggest things that I say are modeling yourself and practicing when your child is calm. And this is always an aha moment, no matter how many times I say it on my account. And I think it's because, you know, the nature of Instagram is you grow. And so you have people who've never seen your previous yeah. content, um, but it's like a light bulb goes for people. When I say you have to practice when they're calm, they're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, and I think that there are a couple of different factors that come into play when we're not. One is that asking a child to use a coping skill when they're severely dysregulated is like asking them to do a math test when they're significantly dysregulated. It's a skill and asking them to do any kind of skill when they're so upset is generally not going to go well. Um, and the other thing for kids who have parents or teachers or caregivers who are asking them to use coping skills when they're only upset, you're now pairing this direction with this state of dysregulation. And so it becomes very aversive to kids in a behavior sense. So it's really important to find lots of times throughout the day um, when kids are calm and regulated to be asking them to practice taking some deep breaths, practice counting to 10, practice using a mantra, and then providing praise or other kind of reinforcement if necessary um, for them doing it. So those are the really important things when you want to build a skill set of or a repertoire of coping skills. Yeah, you do it when they're calm and yeah. you have to try to not escalate when they're escalating. Yes, absolutely. It's an opposite action, right? Yes. yes. And it can be very difficult to do, but it's incredibly important to do. Yeah, it really is. For it parents, really is. they really, you have to be the adult in the room. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, just on that note, I think one of the things that I really struggle with on social media right now, too, is this idea that when a child is dysregulated and a parent is triggered, that the parent needs to stay with the child um, at all times to help them, you know, co-regulate or what have you. And I, I just want it to be really clear for parents that it is okay to step away. It would be better for you to step away and collect yourself than to to parent out of a place of dysregulation in yourself. Um, I think that parents right now are just feeling so much pressure to, um, to stay with their kids through every single moment of dysregulation. And that is just yeah. not realistic. So. Yeah. And it can probably be helpful if you step away. Yeah. And you're modeling. 
Yeah. I've, I've done it myself. I've said, you know, I need to take a break for a second. I'm going to go take some deep breaths and then I will come back and we can talk again. And that is good modeling. Right. That's great. Okay. And supportive statements too, along that way. Okay. So when school anxiety hits somebody, hits a child, what do parents do when a child doesn't like school refusal comes into play, that kind of thing that can be very scary, very frustrating. Yes. Parents can feel very hopeless. Yes. What do they do? You know, I don't think that I can say emphatically enough that if your child is beginning to show signs of school refusal, they need support. School refusal is a really big deal and it tends to not get better on its own. It tends to get much, much worse. Um, And so I think that when parents are seeing those initial signs of anxiety at school, that they need to be reaching out for support. They need to be getting in touch with the school counselor, the school psychologist, the principal, the teacher really start to communicate. You know, this is what my child is saying at home, or this is how my child is acting at home. How are you seeing them at school? Are you seeing any of this? Um, if their grades are changing, if their sleep habits are changing, if their peer relationships are changing, any of those things um, are signs of problems ahead. And so parents really do want to get support as quickly as possible. Okay. And get the school on board and possibly look for outside support as well. Yeah, for sure. Like a therapist. I'm thinking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like build the team. Yeah. This is one situation where, where I will say that typically the support that a school can provide is probably not enough. Um, They are probably going to want an outside therapist who is well-trained in anxiety and cognitive behavior therapy and all those evidence-based practices to be working with the child and the parents, because especially with school refusal, parents have a really big role in supporting their kiddo. Okay. And can, is it something that can be resolved in time? Yes, absolutely. It can be resolved, but it does need a plan. A lot of times these kids need a really systematic plan to get them back into school. Um, And that's why I think that having that professional support is really helpful. It also is helpful because the school will need to be on board. Sometimes we develop plans for students where they're not expected to attend school for the full day for a brief time. Um, And so the school team needs to be on board with that as well and understand why that's really important. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. Another question is um, how do we build in motivation for an ADHD child? And like, why might we as parents feel okay with doing that? Yeah. Um, This is another hot topic, (laughs) especially in the Instagram world. Um, So I think it's really trendy right now to talk about intrinsic motivation and we only want them to be intrinsically motivated. But one thing that I never see in those topics of conversation is people explaining how to get the child to be intrinsically motivated. And the way that you get them to be intrinsically motivated is by helping them to experience a success. And sometimes in order to experience the success, they need an external motivator. So something you know, some type of reward. Um, and, and I just wish that parents would feel okay about that. Yeah. Um, It's really, it's sad to me to see, 
um, especially parents of kids with ADHD. Um, they are just being lied to on social media, um, when they're told that their child needs to be intrinsically motivated. Um, because it's about the exact opposite, right? When you have ADHD, it means that they, an ADHD child may not be self-motivated or self-directed, right? Because it's hard. Yes. It's It's hard. hard. They're immature. They don't understand how their actions today affect their future, right? All the things that ADHD is. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for them to regulate their attention long enough to get everything done. And so, yeah. So to be intrinsically motivated, it's hard to be intrinsically motivated when you've never experienced the success of actually doing something. Right. So um, it's okay to parents for a parent to some to build in some real time motivation. I would say it's not only okay. I would say that it's necessary. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you were giving a blessing to all the parents yes. who are struggling with this. Yeah, I and I will say, as a parent, you're going to do this, even though you're friends of typical kids, neurotypical kids are not going to need to do this, right? You cannot compare yourself to your friends who are raising and parenting neurotypical children. Yeah, They're so- going to be parenting in a different way. Yeah. I think, you know, I always come back to also, you know, even if you have typical kids, there is nothing wrong with using motivation at times. We do not work for yeah. free. I love my job. I'm really passionate about what I do. I love helping parents, Um, but I don't work for free, even though I love it and none of us do. And so um, to ask a child to do something non-preferred, that's really difficult for nothing is just kind of crummy. Um, And so I think if you kind of look at it from that light, it might help parents feel a little bit better. Yeah. Okay. So what are some ways that you could build in motivation? Let's think of chores. Like I feel like chores for any kid are really boring and dull Mm -hmm. and may not seem necessary in their little world. Right. So what would be a way a parent could build in a motivation to help their child learn these skills of like cleaning up or cleaning their bedroom or whatever you're vacuuming the floor, whatever skill you're trying to teach them. What's like a motivation that a parent could build that isn't like um, something huge, but like small little incentives. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes it's just a matter of scheduling things uh, strategically, right? So let's say on the weekend, you're planning on going to the park, but you really need your kid to, you know, spend a little bit of time cleaning up their room it's a simple first sense. So first we're going to spend 10 minutes cleaning up your room and then we're going to go to the park. Um, also, you know, making it fun for them. So let's put on some music. Let's see who can pick up 20 things first. Let's, um, you know, let's see if we can finish before the timer goes off all those different, you know, kind of the games qualities of, um, for chores, I think can be really helpful and don't be afraid to get in on it with them. Um, yes, we want to build their independence and there is a time for that, but when we're starting with a new skill or even just trying to increase independence, it's okay to start out kind of participating with them. Yeah. And there's a lot of topic about body doubling ADHD kids and adults need body doubling to kind of Uh help keep them motivated to do tasks. And so in a family, it's a sibling or a parent who's doing that. Right. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. 
Okay. So that's great advice. All right, Kristen, as we wrap up, what is like your words of wisdom for parents who are trying to get help their anxious ADHD child get through school and, and life? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing I would say at this point with what I know about what parents are experiencing and what I see on different social media platforms is don't be afraid to get professional support. I think that we really have started to undervalue individualized support. Instagram has some great therapists and content producers, but we are not providing therapy. We are providing tips and tricks and um, sometimes, you know, really good context for when to use those things and how to use those things. But we don't know your child or your family circumstances or your history and a therapist would. And so I think that it's really important if you have a child who's struggling with anxiety, you know, the, the sooner we intervene with these kids, the better, the sooner that they can develop coping skills, a younger age where they can become much more ingrained, the better. Um, and so I just, I hope that parents, um, won't shy away from getting that individualized support that can just be so incredibly helpful and can be the difference in six months of treatment versus six years of treatment. Yeah, that's great advice. I think speaking of social media too, there's a lot of, you see talk with your ADHD child that you just need to learn the parent needs skills, which is definitely yeah. a part of it. But when anxiety takes over, that is when you absolutely need your skill set as a parent can go only so far. Yeah. Um, and you need, an, like you said, your words of wisdom to seek outside support to help support the family and the parent and the child, right? And to help ease the anxiety that that child's feeling at that time and make a plan. Exactly. Right? Everything you said. Okay, I've (laughs) learned well in this podcast (laughs) session. So yeah, thank you. So thank you for sharing um, your expertise and your wisdom and um, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.